Hello and welcome to New Era Week at Defected HQ. I'm Defected's Head of Digital, Seb Wheeler, and today we're going to be discussing how subcultures and embracing their grassroots could be the future of media. Joining me today uh, are a panel of uh, wonderful people from across the length and breadth of music media. Um, I'll introduce them. Uh, first up, a man who needs little introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it would be rude not to. Terry Farley, a bona fide UK house legend. He's been on the dance floor since day dot, has produced some of house music's most enduring records under various guises, including Roach Motel and Boca Juniors, as well as with Pete Heller as Heller and Farley, and he plays regularly at clubs and festivals around the world. He is also a bastion of knowledge and when it comes to acid house and deep house, as well as dance culture, soul boy trends, and much more. He launched house music fanzine, Boy's Own, with Andrew Everall, Simon Echo, and Steve Mays back in the day, and it was something that very much went on to document and dictate the trends of the time. These days, he's very much a scene curator and archivist via his Faith fanzine, along Faith crew Stuart Patterson, Andy Thomas, and Dave Jarvis. Next up, we have Sandra Omari, uh, AKA the shutdown sweetheart. <laughs> that is the best alter ego I've ever heard. Uh, she is a multi-genre DJ and host. She plays everything from hip hop and R&B to trap and Afro beats. She's now a resident DJ at, at Box Park, is an official regular at BBC Radio One Extra, an official DJ for Adidas. She hosts her own bi-weekly show on Represent Radio and has DJed for the likes of Beyonce, Tyler the Creator, Young Fug, Usain Bolt and Emily Sando. We have Tracy Kavalik. Is that how you, you say your surname? Kavalik. Kavalik. Apologies, I should have checked that pre-panel. Uh, pre <laughs> uh, she's a, a former podium and professional dancer and now music journalist based in London, UK. Canadian-born, nightclub-bred, she has performed as a podium dancer with everyone from De La Soul to Snoop, Spanish Harlem Orchestra and Buena Vista Social Club, as well as a long list of DJs. She has also been a professional salsa dancer and choreographer and a world champion as part of a Canadian team. And the bio doesn't stop there. Um, <laughs> that's, that's just for starters. With a background in organising club nights, DJing and even running her own festival, she has since dived into multiple subcultures. She has worked as a stylist, photographer, curator, band manager, opened a punk and rock concept shop in Camden and eventually succumbed to music journalism. She has documented past and future subcultures with punk, hip-hop and rock photographers like Jeanette Beckman, Sheila Rock, Bob Gruen, Eddie Otekra, Derek Ridges, as well as, as well as a lengthy list of graffiti artists and emerging polysexual club kids, illegal street racers, bull riders, and cowgirls. I really want to go uh, on a night out with you yeah. yes. sometime <laughs> soon. Let's lock that in. Maybe <laughs> after this they'll, panel. They'll all be there. They're my house. Actually, waiting outside. <laughs> uh, she's written for Mix Mag, Dazed, Crack ID, Brick, Faith, Passion Vice, Nylon, Vice, Clash, Wonderland, Time Out, and Defected. Last but not least, we have Davey Reed from The Face. He's the music editor at The Face, a legendary cultural publication which initially ran between 1980 and 2004, before, of course, relaunching in 2019. He previously worked at Crack Magazine, where he was editor from 2015 to 2018, and he was on the editorial team at Red Bull Music UK from 2018 to 2019 as well. Having joined The Face for its relaunch, he oversees both print and digital music content and advises on the brand's commercial projects and events. So that's our panel. Now let's get into it. Um, so obviously, 
subcultures have always driven uh, pop culture media. Uh, it's basically what pop culture media wants to tap into and talk about. Um, so for the sake of the panel uh, and the topic, Terry, let's start at the beginning. Why did you and your gang start Boyzone way back when? Um, I think be, being in a gang, um, for me, was, was always important. And I've always been in a gang, you know. Um, and Boyzone was kind of our, our gang. And we had different members in the gang who did different things. Andrew Weverall was very, very articulate and very clever um, and creative. Um, Simon was really into kind of putting on events. Maisie was Maisie. Um, and I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a person who has a thousand ideas. You know, five of them would be really good. Uh, and the rest just get discarded. But that, that's cool. And we, we just decided, well, I decided um, to pitch a, a fanzine to Andrew um, because I was really into this fanzine in Liverpool called The End, which was kind of very, very... Um, it was written in the style of how the Scousers were talking. You know, it was full of slang. It was full of kind of in-jokes. It was full of talking about pubs that you'd never heard of or people you'd never heard of uh, and I just got quite, it was like this is fantastic and I really like this and I, it, you know, every time I looked at it I, I wanted to find out more about this, they were talking about trainers that, you know, the, the, the kids going to Everton were wearing or Liverpool wearing and um, i I become quite kind of obsessed with it and I said to Andrew you know, you know, I mean, he, he, he's always quoted as saying, look, I, I said to him, look, if the Scousers can do it, we can do it. I don't think it was quite as kind of, it might have been, but I don't know if it was. But I, uh, you know, and, and, and we just set out to do one. We had a friend who was a printer. Um, and we had, at that time in London, this is kind of like the, uh, the mid 80s, shop culture was really, really important. You know, there was no internet. The Face was the only mag... Face and ID were the only two magazines that anyone ever bought. Uh, and they kind of covered kind of underground cult dance clubs in London, especially quite well. Um, but shop culture was really, really important. You went, you went on a Saturday afternoon down the King's Road or South Mullen Street, and you, you picked up flyers and you found out, you know, that this kind of... There was this warehouse party on in Hackney or this was going on, and there was no other way of finding out. Um, and we, we printed up, I think it was about a 1,000 copies of the magazine, sold them in down the King's Road in Robot and American Classics, um, and, you know, quite, quite a lot of stores actually took them. Um, and, yeah, it, 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 the way I got kind of obsessed with the, the end, a lot of people in London got obsessed with Boys Own, and, and you know, the the little things we were writing about and, and the, the slang we were using and um, and it kind of become into like, seeped into the, the, the culture of the day around, you know, around West End clubbing especially. I think that's also the, the crux of this conversation today is how you um, kind of create and talk to that kind of um, hardcore community yeah. um, and how you build a community around subcultural passions. Yeah, I mean, we, at, at that time, I, I, kinda, I had this kind of idea in my head and I, and I, I looked at the, the fanzines that were out there and fanzines are basically magazines written by fans, not by journalists. 
Um, so, you know, the, the, the spelling's not going to be great. And I mean, my spelling is atrocious. And, you know, there's no copywriter, there's no one picking up on anything. But that's kind of the charm of it all, I think. Um, and the more we kind of used kind of in stuff and the more we used... Uh, I mean, we made up slang that didn't even exist. And, and, you know, we made up kind of loads of stuff. You know, we, had, we used to have charts for records. Um, and, you know, we'd put a record in at number one that hasn't been made and didn't exist. And, you know, people would go, like, you know, go into flying records and really bother the people about this record. You know, and they'd be like, it's not real. It's them again. They're doing it. No, 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 no. I've heard it. You know, I've heard someone else play it. Um, and, and, yeah, um, yeah, the, the more you kind of went down that path, the more people liked it. You know, you're, you're core little people. You know, it, it, you know these, these magazines are never going to st stretch out to, into the mainstream. Um, but then you're not trying to do that. You know, you're not try we weren't trying to make any money. Um, we, we pressed up as many copies as we got in advertising, which was very little. So we never pressed up more than like a thousand copies, I don't think. Um, we'll move a convo over to Tracy. Tracy, why do, uh, what draws you to documenting subcultures? I don't know. I've always had like an affinity for, I guess, bold characters or obscure scenes or so somebody, you know, I guess the underground, I guess, as all of us do. And I've always found myself there naturally. And then I think I've just always become yeah, I've just been fascinated by these characters that exist within there and what they're doing. I think, I, like, I've, I don't know, I grew up, like, I, I said in further deep dive, deep bits of my bio, like, I grew up with a father that was, like, a roadie and a stage manager. So I was always around, like, really interesting characters as a kid. And I think from there, I was just attracted my whole life. I started working in clubs when I was 14, so I was always involved in finding different subcultures and... And putting my, being in them myself. Yeah, I guess that kind of comes naturally if you're, you have that inquisitive eye and you're surrounded by those things. You want to kind of document them and, and tell the world about them. I think so too. And I've always had like a real, like I've been like such a geek with research. So I think I've always been like really fascinated to find out like, you know, meeting somebody like Mark Perry, for instance, with, who did like the punk scene, Sniffing Glue. It was interesting to find out, like, oh, where was he? How did he do it? Like, how do you used to, like, rig cables next door? Like, just finding all these little tiny bits about the subcultures and the history behind them as well. And I've always been really fascinated mm. in that as well. Uh, Sandra, um, obviously Represent uh, Radio gives platform to a lot of subcultural forms of music. Why is that important? Um, I think it's important because it's a way for people to see themselves, if that makes sense. You know, when we talk about mainstream, there's so much that is kind of kept out of the mainstream. And there's so many people that feel like when they look at the mainstream, they don't see themselves. Mm. Um, and somewhere like Represent, it really, really, really puts the emphasis on shining the light on homegrown talent and people that are not as represented as much. Um, people that come from a certain background, people that come from a certain place where you know, you're not born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You're not gonna talk about the things that they talk about in the mainstream. Um, and you're, um, you get to see a, a reflection of yourself. Um, and I think that's why Represent um, is so important. And I think that's why Represent has been so popular um, amongst the youth and has or is 
um, going to have a good run because mm. it's for the people mm. that don't see themselves in the mainstream mm. and don't see themselves as the norm or the um, cookie cut. Mm. Um, it's the voice of the streets, the voice of the people, basically. Mm. So, mm. yeah. I mean, talking directly to like a specific community yeah. and having that authentic engagement is why represents doing so well it's why people yeah. are still talking about boys own is why the face can kind of relaunch so successfully um davy how has the magazine approached um spotlighting subcultures uh during its recent relaunch so yeah i mean this is kind of um a big thing which the, fa the face was really known for is like you know really well um you know i think the buffalo movement in the 80s it kind of really owned that um covered the new romantics movement really closely and when it came to acid house and and rave and stuff particularly under cheryl garrett's guidance it was really really attached to that um it was interesting me coming on board when we relaunched in 2019 because you know my director and edit was saying you know what do you what, what do you see around you which you think is really like, powerful as a subculture now and for me it was really um the kind of culture which has surrounded this wave of UK rap, which I think we don't, we won't realise until ten years' time. We look back at what's happened between 2015 and 2020 is a really, really significant chapter for UK culture. So, I was saying, you know, with that really affected the music policy. So we've done a lot of drill and a lot of what was Afro swing, or that's kind of in flux. But that's another conversation. And um, but also just to make sure that we. The thing is, the face is, um, you know, I don't think people read it because they want to know details about the drum machine or how someone's double-tracked vocals or BPMs or anything like that. They want to know everything around the music. So, you know, I think for a subculture, for me, from a music perspective, it's when there's a genre and fans of that genre have certain things in common, like political and moral values, lifestyle choices, maybe in terms of drugs and alcohol, fashion, the way they dance and that sort of thing. So what I was kind of seeing at gigs and on the streets and on buses and stuff like that around, around the UK is, you know, um, people listen to drill music on their phones, but also wearing certain brands, behaving and dancing in certain ways at events and all that sort of thing. So alongside commissioning articles and doing content with the musicians, we did, you know, a big feature about why certain artists wear masks, which is one of our most read articles since we relaunched. Um, we've done, you know, Bike Storms Culture, which is the wheelies, which I think is adjacent to this. Um, you know, we've done a lot of just shooting fans as well. You know, stuff like D-Block Europe shows and Wireless Festival and kind of just going out there and, and being very, very simple and just getting great photographers to photograph people. So, yeah, I would say that it's, it's about kind of the genres at the heart of it, but you kind of need to look at everything else, which is kind of around that as well. Mm. Yeah, cause it's obviously important to document what's going on, but then from like an audience point of view, I mean, me personally, I'd love to, I, I love knowing what's going on mm. on the other side of the world in communities that perhaps I'm not like directly involved yeah. with. Um, so I've got a question, like a broad question for, for the whole panel. Uh, in the era of algorithms and too much information, why are niche platforms with a dedicated grassroots audience thriving? Tracy, do you want to lead that one? Yeah, I think it's kind of like uh, following up on what you said last in terms of I think one of the key points is like putting people somewhere where maybe they can't be, maybe they don't know where that subculture exists, maybe they don't know where like that secret door is or where the gig is or whatever, like you know where this is happening, maybe it's on the other side of the world from them, but they now have 
this they can feel as though they're a part of it or maybe like they take a snippet of it after and they're wearing what you wrote about you know in the face or they're listening to a track that you played that they never would have experienced and now they can feel a part of that subculture too and I think with everything being so broad people really want to connect to something more intimate and that also feels like them you know like you said it's just, that's another thing that attracted me to subcultures was people that felt like me you know and I, th I think that's a huge part of it for sure yeah yeah um, David, do you want to pick up? Yeah, I mean, I guess is are we are we talking about the algorithm and the challenges that kind of creates, but how sort of platforms can still survive? I think it's interesting. The algorithm's been really punishing to platforms in recent years. I think if you looked up even 2013, if you had a publication and the Facebook page, it was great. You know, you could post to your Facebook followers and, and a lot of people would click that link. You know, you could get thousands of clicks very easily. And I think social media was maybe better for kind of passing on links to other stuff, whether it be music or articles. I think things have changed. So these platforms are really kind of keep keeping people on these social platforms a lot more. So that's been a real challenge. I think though, it's a challenge in the sense of getting big numbers, right? But like, I think there's a lot of wisdom in kind of cultivating what I would describe as like a curiously minded audience. So like if you walk into a bar in London and say hands up who would buy a, a EP of Bandcamp or hands up who would pay £8.50 for a print publication or, you know, anything like that, it's a minority. But if you can kind of be the platform which nurtures that audience then you've got a really loyal audience, like I kind of, um, it's interesting when I've spoken to people who have platforms which are subscription based, um, which has been a big thing since the pandemic when lots of people saying, actually, can you sort of, we, we need a five a month to keep going. Mm. And even though you might have a smaller audience for that, those people who are willing to pay a fiver are the type of people who are willing to read a 3,000 word article about a subculture. So I think just trying to really target and engage those curiously minded people rather than chasing the, the massive numbers, which is, I think, we when the era of huge, insane TikTok reach and, and, and YouTube stats and stuff like that and, and streaming figures. So, yeah, I, th I think that identify the people who really, really care and, and, and focus on them, I think. I mean, there is that concept of, or the, the thousand fan concepts, where it's like, you know, if you foster a thousand fans who come to your shows, buy your products, like, you know, engage with your stuff on socials, you're a lot more, you're, you're set basically for a, a set amount of time because you've got that a thousand people who are, who are generally want to know what you're up to. I mean, The Face doesn't even have a, a Facebook page, which I thought was quite brave. Yeah. Um, how has the, the publication dealt with not being on, on one of the, the biggest social platforms? How have you kind of fostered a, a community otherwise? Yeah, I mean, with Facebook, it was interesting because in 2019, by that point, it was starting to, I think people were starting to really move away from that and start to feel like it wasn't a good experience being on there. It was when people were kind of giving up on it and um, it's kind of mainly mainly for baby photos, I think, I mean, <laughs> which are lovely. But, you know, I think for, for a cultural publication, it didn't feel like the right place to be. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously there's disadvantages to not being on one of the biggest social media platforms there is, but I think what we've kind of succeeded with, which I think is a bit of a source of pride and especially and also selling point from commercially, is we have very very healthy time on page. So it's like you know, in terms of the, you can see how many minutes someone spent when they've clicked a link, and it's usually quite 
it can be quite shocking actually of how many people just click a link and then they they scroll through it and then they're off um, but we've like you know compared to competing publications and everyone's come from different publications and everyone's been like that's really good mm. so that's also you know even though maybe we're not we are there's some potential audiences on Facebook we're not reaching as much like we're we're cultivating an audience who really care mm. and people do you know people do share these links organically of course as mm. well so mm. yeah um Sandra there's so much radio online so much kind of info and and DJ mixes you know why is represent thriving despite all of that noise um, I would definitely say that Represent is thriving. Um, similar to what you were saying, um, we do shine a light on people that have their core kind of fan base. I think the best example of that um, is somebody like Slow Tie. Um, to watch Slow Tie become who he is now and to have a number one album and to be one of the first radio stations and one of the first um, radio presenters to actually shine a light on his talent. Um, I remember... Um, being at his first show in London, and there, there, there couldn't have been more than, I would say, 400 people there. Mm. Um, it was crazy. He climbed onto the like roof, and <laughs> he shook the roof so much that everyone was covered in dust. And it was just, I, I always think about slow tie and um, artists like him that were, you know, given that push by Represent, and now they've become part of popular culture. But if you, you know, if you are familiar with Slow Tie, he's very, very niche um, in terms of his music, in terms of um, his message. Um, but he also spoke for a lot of people in terms of, you know, um, his um, perspective in terms of um, being working class British, you know, um, nothing's great about Britain and um, that sort of perspective. I think a lot of people connected with him with that. Mm. And I think that's what's so great about Represent is that we're not afraid to um, push artists that, can be controversial, have a, um, a very niche and small audience and help them get that push that they deserve in order to be seen by the masses. Mm. And um, yeah, I feel like I always use Slow Tie as an example because he's somebody to actually watch the rise of him mm. um, and to know that um, our radio station and our um, DJs have been a part of that. It's, it shows you what um, you know the underdog can do and um, it's, it's amazing to see, it's amazing to see. It's yeah. something to be very proud of. So. And I think that yeah. uh, authenticity um, around the station really helps mm. when you know fans are choosing what to listen to yeah. and who to follow basically, because Represent has that, that um, it was a talent incubator, isn't it? Yeah. So you know whoever you're listening to on there is gonna be big. Yeah. You know, six months to five years it's, down yeah, the line. Yeah, it's exactly the same with a lot of the DJs and hosts as well. Like, the alumni for Represent is crazy. Mm. You know, um, people have gone on to KISS, people have gone on to BBC One Extra, people have gone overseas. I think there's something about Represent um, that it's the, it is the voice and the face and the hub of subculture mm. to push it and give it the push that it deserves and to shine a light on it for people that feel like they're alone to see that they're not alone, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. And I think that's why it's been such a success. Yeah, and to, to create a, a meaningful media outlet, exactly, you need yeah. that. And those success stories will always uh, pay it forward as well. You know, like Sherelle's I was mentioning, yeah. representing all of her um, interviews, and she's now a global megastar. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, Terry, yeah. why do you think the Faith, um, why do you think Faith fanzine is, is cutting through in the age of the algorithm? Um, I, I, I think um, 
I think actually printed magazines are really important. Um, I think trying to get yourself, you know, there's so much noise on on the internet, and it's just it. It's it, you know it's definite. No one reads anything. No one sees anything. Um, it's like you know Spotify. You know people click on, they listen to a record. I, I I heard somewhere that DJs are now making records with Spotify in mind as opposed to DJs in mind. Whereas like I think 15 years ago, people were complaining that DJs uh, producers were all making records for DJs to mix and they weren't making great intros they weren't making dramatic kind of stuff like used to used to you know back in the back in the late 80s early 90s there was it was all about the intro there was these you know big kind of dramatic intros that kind of then went into the track and then suddenly it was like no it's about the DJ being able to mix your records and he's not going to play it well now I've and I've heard this from several sources that you know people have now changed to like making records that will grab the, the listener's attention on Spotify because they only click on for like 20 seconds. Mm. And if they don't like it, they've gone somewhere else. Um, and I think having a printed magazine actually creates a situation where, you know, you can't just put it down. You know, you've picked it up. You've gone, in, you've gone to, the, to the trouble of, of picking up that magazine. It's free. Mm. It might cost you the postage. It might cost you the train fare to come into the West End to pick it up. But you're still gonna you're still gonna look at it, and you're still gonna read it. And 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 I, I like it's it's the I think it's the same thing as with, you know, when you have this kind of idea about vinyl, you know, it isn't it isn't about a vinyl record sounds necessarily better, um, it feels better, mm. and and you have a connection with it because you can hold it, mm. you know, um, and then you have it in the corner of your house and you see it and you, oh yeah, I love that record, you know, and and I think. Um, the Faith, our magazine, um, I think it connects with people. Um, you know, we we write about the kind of history of where where we got to, where we started, where we come to. Some of some of the articles go back right back to the sixties, but we also always feature at least two or three really brand new artists. You know, young artists that are at the front of the magazine, um, and I think we we had the first article on Lady Blackbird mm. um, who's now kind of blowing up mm. you know big time um, yeah I, I, I think you know having something printed is quite important I mean going back to the face you know when 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 I was you know young you know the face was everything you know if uh, you know I know DJs who built their career on being the face DJ of the month you know literally your face DJ of the month, your phone goes, hello, it's so-and-so, Nell's in New York, we want you to come and play. You know, and these are people who have never left England. Uh, and so the face was so important, you know, and, it's, and it, I think it's really important they're back, you know, and it's a, it's a great magazine. And, you know, the subcultures that we, we all talk about here, you know, they're all different from each other, but they're not in the fact that they are, you know, the people who are into the music that you play, the music that you write about, and the music that we write about, they're different people and they come from different places. But, you know, kind of inside, you know, what they want is something, something to call their own, and it's something that they, they feel really passionate about. And they also like the idea, I think, that, that 
it still seems a secret, you know, that, you know, the people on Radio 1, they don't know about it. Mm. And I think they like that. They like the fact that, you know, Capital are not playing these records. And, you know, and, and, and it's kind of, it feels that it's special to them. Mm. I think that's refreshing as well in like um, an era where everyone tries to be into everything. You know, I saw you slagging off ABBA on the internet the other day and I was like, you know what, Terry? No, Good on I'm, you. I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't slagging. <laughs> Good on you, you're going no, against well, the grain. Yeah, no, no. I, which is what I expect from you. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I was slagging off ABBA because when I was a kid, right, when I was a kid, um, you know, if you went to a, like, a disco in the high street, you know, they played shocking music and then every town had one DJ who would buy American imports, you know, and he, you know, there would be one little tiny little club and it would always be on a, mon a Monday or a Tuesday because at the weekends it was, you know, clubs was only about what the drinks they sold, you know, and a lot of clubs, they had either a color bar or a quota for people of color. Um, so, you know, so Monday or Tuesday or yeah, Wednesday, if you were lucky, was the kind of, you know, the soul or funk night. And you would go along there and there would be the same people, only the same group of people on the same, going around the same clubs. And you felt part, you felt part of a, you know, it's a family, mm. you really did. Mm. And uh, I mean, on that, you know, the scene that I kind of grew up on, you know, Cole Cox come out of that scene, Pete Tong come out of that scene, um, Jazzy B come out of that scene, Norman Jay, Paul Anderson, um, you know, a really lot of creativity come out of, that, out of that scene, and it started so small, and 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 people who, you know, they just wanted something of their own, and mm. and and they were sort of so passionate about, mm. you know, this music and going out. Mm. Um, it's amazing. And that. Abba, Abba. <laughs> and my point is, I got, I got really sidetracked. Abba was the total kind of antipathy of that. You know, it's like. And suddenly to hear people, you know, you're I'm playing a club and someone's going to play an ABBA record. Fuck off, you know. It's like even if they've stuck a kick under it, I don't, you know, what what what's that about? I want, I want that on a t-shirt. If a DJ is going to play ABBA, fuck off. Yeah, no, please, so. you know. And, and and I know, and and here we go. And people go, yeah, but have you seen the video? The crowd, the kids love it. Yeah, they, of course they do. Of course they do. But that's not the point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not the point. You're, you're as a DJ, you're not here to to feed, to feed the drop, so to speak. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You're here to kind of play records that you like. If you're not playing records that you like, then there's no point. And you're there to kind of give them new records and and classic records um, that they will like. And maybe you know they they might kind of go, oh, what's that? I'll shazam it and I'll go and buy it or whatever. But, you know, we're, we're not here just to kind of make it easy. Mm, mm. I think the, the commitment to print um, personifies that as well. I mean, obviously, print used to be like a, like a mainstream or hyper-commercial medium. But now having a print title is almost kind of a, like a, a punk statement. Um, moving away from print, I mean, Tracy, how... How can publishers document subcultures in new and inventive ways in, in 2021, print or otherwise? I think maybe it's like going back to what I said before about trying to put people as close to a subculture as, as they can without, if they can't reach it or whatever, and how to 
communicate that to them or how to articulate to them how it feels, what it's like, you know, for you to be in it. And I think, I mean, obviously, you know, I think I, I like writing, you know, 3,000 word articles. I like writing these deep dives into these things. But I think people also are very, really want to see the visuals. I think, like, video and the way that you can incorporate that is really important mm -hmm. moving forward. And I think, you know, to be able to mix the two, there is going to be people for sure, target audience that's going to pick up faith or that's going to, you know, read, spend time to read these things. But I think people want, our, it's, it's more about appealing to everyone's senses now, whether that's, you know, how hearing, you know, new things, experiencing these things that, you know, that they can experience and definitely seeing them 100%, like through photos, through visuals, and so that they, you can, you know, you can feel how that feels to be in those cultures because that's certainly what is so magnetic about them. Mm. You know, is mm. the way that it feels when you're in them, whether you're finding them or whether they're finding you. Mm. You know, that's what keeps you, it's the thing that's just so unbelievable mm. about them. And like experience is still so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, a lot of the times, you know, I've said this before when writing about subcultures, a lot of the times they're so good, you don't want to tell anybody about them. You know, because you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want to ruin it. And all of a sudden there's all these people I want to, you know, but, but I think that's even better to, to think of a way, you know, now to, to be able to give audiences a hint of that who are reading your publication of what that could feel like. Mm. You know. um, I wanted to talk about uh, sustainability because obviously we're talking about grassroots and subcultures and these are very like underground um, like entities and topics. Um, Davey, can you talk about how The Face uses its niche audience to tap into and work with brands? Yeah, so it's interesting working with brands. Um, you know, I is my role, a lot of brands want to do engage music audiences and want to do branded content with musicians so a lot of my job is kind of saying okay we've got this brief from so and so this is the budget this is the kind of vague idea do you want to shape it up and which artist would you put forward for it um so actually kind of like you know there's a lot of people around town who kind of realize there's loads of value and being really plugged into subcultures at incredible scenes i think artists are getting more and more savvy about realizing that this is a really important part of their career, especially mm. in the, the era of streaming and stuff like that. And I think, so yeah, yeah, I, I think this is really important. I think w it works the best, I think, when we've kind of already built a relationship with artists um, by offering them editorial support and then later down the line being like oh by the way we got this brief from this brand mm. would you be interested and i'm kind of quite proud of some of the stuff we do with brands actually like in terms of having like super uh like super credible artists and actually the content and the photography being really good you know we did this project last year with burberry and we had we paired Parsley, the rapper with morgan simpson who's the drummer in the band black midi and that contributions from someone who owns the windmill uh, venue in Brixton and, and people in the underground jazz scene in London and really great names. Uh, but we'd already kind of supported both artists editorially. And yeah, I think there's, um, so I, th I think there's that build that relationship there. And I think a lot of the people who, let's say there's a, the big brand who wants a project to engage a music audience, that person may not, really know the the kind of ins and outs of let's say the london jazz scene or something like that they might have no idea at all so that kind of if you're able to kind of access them to that then that's actually really valuable but mm. i kind of feel like 
artists, they need to trust you first before you take them onto a project like this. So I think that's how I like to do it anyway. I like to kind of look at who we've already been working with and support and then being like, oh, so if you want to do this, here's a deal. Mm. I mean, that, that feels like a very natural way of doing things and the right way to go about things. And again, that, that word authenticity yeah. crops up. I mean, how, how do you work with brands in a way that doesn't dilute the face's commitment to, to subculture and also like its integrity and that of the artists as well? Yeah, so that's um, kind of interesting. I think we the the kind of quality of the photography and the writing and stuff like that that just has to be really really good. I think it needs to be something which artists feel that when we deliver those assets. It, I mean, fortunately, we take on good clients. We you know, but like. Um, yeah, I think you've just got to really put loads of effort into it and make sure the story's really interesting, make sure that the assets are really high quality. And it's funny that the kind of attitudes with artists, I think, has really, really changed. I remember even as recently as, you know, 10 years ago, if, like, a band you loved or a DJ you loved was to do some sort of sponsored content with a brand, it might be, you know, perceived as selling out. But I've noticed with artists, particularly, like, a, you know, Gen Z artists or whatever who are growing up now, um, I really don't think that, um, you know, especially if it's, a, if it's a fashion line or something like that, or it's a really cool clothing brand or something, and they've done a project with that in the Face magazine, I think they're just as happy. That's a flex, and that's the mm. kind of thing to want to show off about, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think attitudes have changed around it as well. I think that past Lou and Black Midi collab is a really good example. Because um, when I saw that drop, I was like, wow, that's actually a collab I'd love to listen to. Yeah. And it was all, it was part of this kind of like brand collaboration. Yeah. Well, another cool thing about it as well is actually the great thing about doing this is you've got budget. So it's mm. like, that's kind of, it's also quite a good thing to offer to people because the writer gets paid more than they would usually for an article the photographer gets a higher fee the artist gets a fee which is really really important as mm. well so yeah Sandra in terms of being an artist um, how does working with Represent help you create and sustain your own career um, it's, been, it's been really really interesting because I, I definitely have noticed a big difference in um, my DJ career before radio and after radio. Um, I think it was so interesting for you to uh, mention Parsalu because he's another artist that represent really, really pushed from the beginning. And um, I had the um, privilege of being able to interview him. And that was when he, he didn't have that many followers. He probably had one or two songs out. Um, and it was one of his first like visits to London. Um, so yeah, I've seen, I've seen a, um, a big difference because I've I've made um, relationships and made contacts through Represent, which have actually really like helped my career. And also, it's, it's given me um, a more broader sense of the scene, if that makes sense. Because you're you're constantly, constantly um, surrounded by music and immersed in music. And I think when I was DJing before, it it was different because I just listened to the music that I liked. I just played the music that I liked and I was kind of in a bubble with what I liked, if that makes sense. Um, and obviously growing up um, as a um, 
British born, like African. We, we had our, our little scene and our little bubble. And um, I, I was noticed by represent, I was put on represent. And I, it just opened my eyes to a whole new um, world and lots of different genres and, um, you know, dance music and house music. Um, like the show that I have now, I play all different genres. Whereas before I was a little bit more um, closed-minded and just happy with what I liked, if that makes sense. But now I can see that I've, I've totally immersed myself in lots of different cultures, lots of different music. And it's helped me do lots of different things, you know, like for instance, I, I never would have seen myself DJing for somebody like Emily Sande, mm. but that, that was so far removed from how I grew up and the sort of music that I listened to. And then being able to DJ for her, I was like, wow, this is a whole, this is a whole new world. And I think that's what's so great about radio, especially underground radio or community radio. You, you really, it really takes you out of your bubble. It really takes you to a, to a different, you tap into a different part of yourself. Mm. You listen and hear things that you wouldn't usually have listened to with the circle that you grew up in. And um, it just, it broadens your horizons. And it's something that I would say that a lot of DJs, especially in this era, um, need to make sure that they do. Because I think it was so interesting that you were saying that with um, the DJ's job is to help you discover new music, is for you to, you know, be able to Shazam or, you know, um, my cousins, my older cousins used to say, they used to take notepads to the club and write down lyrics and then so go to- Terry. Yeah. Oh, really? And go to the records, go to the record shop with the lyrics written down and that's how they would get their records. But I think what's, what's kind of sad now is that in the club, people don't really want to hear music that they don't know. If you play music now in the club, a song in now in the club and people don't know it, they'll just go to the toilet or they'll just go to the bar. And um, it makes me sad that I'm not sad. I'm very happy with my career, very appreciative. But I feel that that's an element that I'm, I've, I'm missing, really, that um, talking to people of the older generation, being able to be brave, brave enough to just put on new songs or brave enough to... Represent allows me that space to mm. put on songs and listen to songs that I wouldn't usually listen to and um, be brave enough um, to get on the mic and say, this is a new song from this person. But um, in the club, I think with um, our generation, that's something that's really missing. It's, you have to just play, you have to play songs with that people know. You don't get the chance to experiment as much and del delve in as much as um, I would like anyway. And Represent has opened my eyes to that if that makes sense. So, yeah, something yeah. I would like to try and um, do. I mean, well, you're yeah. talking about like the notepads. I mean, I remember kind of in, in like around 89 when it, the, the, the kind of it, trying to get a new record was really important. Uh, you know, people used to get like acetates made and, and, and you get sent a, a test pressing or you'd get a record from that come from uh, Italy and there was only a few in the country, you know, a lot of DJs just used to cover their records up. Oh, you know, okay. so people couldn't write a note and they oh, couldn't find okay. out what they were. You know. Um, you know, one one famously DJ used to have a thing and it used to have fuck off nosy Parker on it. <laughs> so people used to go look over and um, I'm not gonna say who he is because he's very much loved. Um, and um, but I think I think it depends on on where you're DJing. Mm. Um, I mean, the kind of I get booked to DJ, um, and I think people come along and they want to hear, you know, 
kind of house music. So I've, I've, you know, I can play new records. Uh, but then I, I'm, because I'm of a certain age and a certain era, I do get people going, oh, you're going to play this old record, you're going to play it, and then you kind of go, well, you know, I will do, but let's, let's, let's hear some new records first, mm. you know? So that's kind of my, my major problem, um, is, is being expected to be playing records from, you know... Mm. Um, another thing I was going to say is like when you're talking about what you've done it's like for you at represent like you you are almost like a subculture in yourself like as like the shutdown queen you know or whatever so it's like if you're going to play with a commercially successful art, artist like Emily Sande people are coming there to experience almost you as a subculture opening for her and like that's you know there's something there's a lot in that because as big as these artists get, I mean, of course, I'm sure you know better than anybody, like, it's so difficult to then still have underground clout or to still have those alternative alternative authenticity, you know, and, like, which is why, you know, some, all these artists have might have an alias so that they can still play the cool clubs that they might not be accepted in anymore because they've got so big or they can still appeal to those small audiences that have fucked off because the mainstream are now listening. And, you know, you see somebody like, like you say, Slow Tire, DEE, or somebody who's got this humongous underground clout, mm. you know, for years and years, and that's, that's definitely not easy at all to achieve. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you say, um, you know, Sandra is a, a subculture in herself, or the, the um, shutdown sweetheart, should I say. Because <laughs> um, I think over the next five, at least five years, maybe ten years, the, the major competition for established titles will be individuals. Um, and the way that social media is going, you, you know, you follow your favorite DJ or artist to get updates from them. You don't necessarily... Uh, have to follow like a face um, or uh, I don't know Guardian Music or whatever um, no shade to the face everyone should follow the face right <laughs> um, yeah and that, that cult of the individual has been you know running alongside uh, social media over the last you know half decade as well so I mean with that in mind um, looking to the future of uh, media and media that's involved with subcultures how can platforms continue to reinvent themselves and stay connected to subcultures and grassroots audiences and as I've already sent for you Davey I think you should take this one first <laughs> no well, it's obviously it's a really good question I think the good and yeah of course like you know you just mentioned back in the day when the face is DJ of the month and then that would be a complete game changer in relaunching the face in 2019 especially since I know this is a boring detail but you know Instagram is the, the kind of shop window for publications and we joined in 2019 so our competitors joined at a time when you know, it's really easy to grow your Instagram. So we're always going to be behind. So how do I, you know, I was concerned is like, is the face going to have any kind of cultural heft if we've got a fraction of the followers that the artist does? I think the good news about that is, which has been like totally reassuring is like artists and even super, super young artists who are like 20 and fans still really, really give a shit about, um, being featured by a magazine so i mean like a magazine cover right if you put it up even if only a hundred like one in a hundred people see it see it physically in 990 on instagram that kind of um power and that kind of co-sign from an established media brand is still a goal for really young artists it still affects how 
audience perceive that, you know, especially covers, I think, are still really powerful. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure you experience that with Mixmag. I'm sure it still is a total game changer. And because I, I was concerned, I was like, well, you know, I grew up reading Enemy every Wednesday. So I grew up with magazine culture. My dad was in magazines. So I was thinking, is someone who's grown up with just TikTok and Instagram more so than physical going to care? But the truth is that they really do. Um, but yeah, I think that thing you were saying in terms of reach, in terms of if you're an artist and you were trying to get your Spotify streams up and your, your and stuff like that, it wouldn't surprise me if your manager was saying, well, maybe building your own platform is a kind of priority over, you know, doing loads of press rather than getting 10 press interviews. Let's just really try and hit a target for your Instagram numbers. I think the thing is, is from a magazine's point of view is it kind of works for us as well because certain artists are really, really good at that. And if you give them something their fans really like, then that travels really far. So for example, you know, our first issue, we had Tyler Creator, Rosalia, um, Harry Styles and Dua Lipa on, on, on the cover. And Dua Lipa and Harry Styles went on set first. And Dua Lipa is obviously one of the biggest pop stars on the planet. But then this was just before Future Nostalgia. Uh, but ha- so that initially, you checked in after a few hours ago and said, didn't sell that well initially. Harry's was com- like, you know, website on the verge of crashing whenever we posted anything about him. Completely insane. Um, you know, FK Twigs, we did her and she's really cultivated a really, really engaged uh, audience quite recently, actually, because when she started out, she was very enigmatic. She didn't do... He- give much of a way you know she was very selective about images now she's kind of you know giving beauty tips all the time and speaking directly to her fans so we did a cover and she loved it so she shared the hell out of it and her fans loved it and that issue just sold out you know so kind of what I'm getting at here is you can kind of from an editor's point of view you can say okay, who are these artists who have got really, really good at building, these individuals who got really, really good at building their own um, platforms and their own followings, then if we can do something they really like and their fans really like, then that will work really well for us. So a really recent example, I think last week, the week before, we put a new print issue. There's an artist called Bella Porch, who I believe is the third most followed person on TikTok in the world, I think. and she is, you know, moving into music and, you know, I was thinking, why will she, why is she going to care about the face magazine? And she's, she's got tens of millions, if not more people sort of watching her content every day. But we did this amazing photo shoot. We did a 3000 word deep dive into her story and, and her experience. And she absolutely loved it, you know, and she's really honored to have someone spend the time to, she's used to 60 second clips to sit down for hours and talk to them and have this photo shoot. And obviously that went online and, and it's done huge traffic for us. So yeah, I guess, sorry, I know it's a long winded answer, but I think it's about, you know, about being savvy of, if these artists are building their own little pockets, how do you infiltrate that? I think the complicated part of all this is, um, you know, you grew up in magazines. I kind of grew up on the tail end, I think, of um, when you read a profile, 
you kind of were expecting if the writer to maybe sort of have a couple of digs at the artist or, or the, the the interviewee or the review section they wouldn't be scared to give something a three out of ten if they thought it was crap and stuff like that i think that's you know and you kind of felt like the writers and the editors were speaking directly to you i think this is the prob the problem either it's a problem or it's just a shift in terms of the architecture of the internet and the culture whether or not um kind of mag- like is a certain objectivity which has been lost if you're kind of dependent on a sort of symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. between your publication and um you know and the talent you know i i still a lot of people don't read pitchfork or or kind of like to criticize pitchfork but i still read the reviews every day because you know, recently they known St. Vincent is the headliner of their festival and then two days later gave a six out of 10 review to her new album. But that was like, well, this is why I read this because I know that, you know, you're not distracted by any, they're not dependent on getting that St. Vincent interview. So that's, but that's whether or not there's an appetite with younger readers anymore. Do you know, the culture's changed. I think we're a lot more mindful of people's emotions on the internet and, you know, do 22 year olds think it's cool to give someone's album a two out of 10? Maybe not, you know? So that's where we're at at the minute, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to look at that um, relationship between publication and artist in a cynical way. But I think, um, you know, it's a genuine story if that artist has come um, from a subculture, has that grassroots audience, uh, and you can talk about it in a really natural way. Um, yeah. That's why, you know, like magazine covers do still shut down the internet. It's why Rihanna dressed as a spliff is still like one of the main images I can think of from the last like couple of weeks. Mm. Um, Sadra, how how do you think uh, radio should continue to kind of reinvent itself over the next five years to to stay relevant? Um, I think there's something about radio that's always going to be relevant. And I think it's similar to print. I still think print is very, very relevant. And I think the reason why, well, my opinion, why print is still um, so relevant and important to artists, because print in some ways is quite aspirational. Um, to you know, come from somewhere and then see yourself on a billboard or see yourself in a magazine and um, be able to tell your story, I, I think that has quite a draw. And that, that I don't think is something that's gonna go away, um, even with the rise of the internet and the internet kind of taking over. Um, I feel there's something within an artist that's always going to want to um, be involved in print in that way. Um, but yeah, with radio, I think radio is always going to be um, relevant. But I think it's it's going to be the underground stations and um, the community radio like represent are going to be of relevancy because. Um, like you said, when you listen to the big um, commercial stations, you can, if you sit there for an hour, they'll play the same songs over and over and over again. And um, if if you just want background music or you're just driving a white van, that's fine, right? But if you want to actually know what's going on and actually want to, um, you know, hear what what the real is as we'll say you're going to listen to represent you're going to listen to rinse you're going to listen to those sort of stations so i think it's always going to be relevant and just to see what represent has done in terms of like you know the artists that we've mentioned like parcela parcelu and slow tie and um odile even you know people like central c who are big now that they all came through represent yeah. they 
They they wanted to be interviewed by Represent. They were at the stations, you know, I've, I've, I've been at the Represent studios and seen these people in the studio. Do you know what I mean? So um, I think radio in that sense is always going to be relevant. I think print in that sense is always going to be, yeah. you know, relevant. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think what you've just said, it kind of maybe links back to kind of what I said before about how if you nurture the curiously minded audience, mm. like they're never going to go away. I guess a radio, maybe it's the kind of big main stations where their job is just to play the catchiest possible songs mm. which are out and the most popular and kind of give people what they've already heard before. Maybe there's going to be a smaller portion of people who want to constantly have their ears challenged and hear new stuff. But if you can kind of be the platform mm. which those people go to, then like they're less, they're, that's a committed audience exactly. and they're not a fickle. So it's yeah. like that's it it's like maybe don't have your eye on being the biggest platform in the world but just mm. like re- like have a really strong connection with the Is audience it, yeah. and they'll be loyal exactly i think that's why represent has such a loyal um you know following i think you can sit and listen to re- represent for 24 hours and every show and every represent every presenter like representative every presenter brings a different vibe has a different show plays different music obviously we have a playlist but even that playlist is very eclectic. Do you know what I mean? So I think for that reason, um, the you know the community radio, the underground radio scene, I think it's always it's always going to be relevant. It's always going to have its core audience because there's a lot of people that you know want to know what's going on, want to know what's new, what's out, and kind of don't want to listen to the same ten songs on loop like for a whole day. I mean, so. Internet radio was kind of one of the big success stories in music of the mm. last decade, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, like that and podcasts, like, I don't think anyone saw internet or the, like radio coming back mm. so hard. And obviously, you know, internet radio is buzzing and it's active and yeah, it's such a gateway to new talent. Yeah, um, definitely. That, that energy is surely going to kind of push on into the next decade. Um, Tracy, who, like, which, which platforms and which uh, formats are you kind of looking forward to to working with um, that are doing kind of like interesting things? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know, like I said, I, I'm, I would love to get more, like, as I said, I'm really into like documenting and I'm really into video and things like that. So I'd like to get more involved with visuals. I think being a dancer as well, you know, I like to communicate the way I experience something physically as well as articulating it with words. So I think as that's like as the scene is transitioning to people wanting more visual content or more things that they can experience maybe at different paces i'd like to experiment with that more hmm. um i'm also as a writer you know i've always been the writer that's wrote for grassroots publications i've always been the journalist that's you know wrote for publications that you know maybe gave you a smaller fee but it was cooler to be in them you know i've never really been i said to, to terry earlier i've always been shit at making money as a journalist because I've always just wanted to tell people stories. I've always wanted to be in the culture. I've always wanted to take a gamble and go to a gig that I didn't hear that artist before. I've been, you know, or go out to three different gigs at night or, you know, follow some cool looking people and see what, the, what they're up to. You know, I've always been that person that just loved, loved the culture without sounding too cliche. And so I've always wanted to write for publications that would show that as much as possible rather than having these humongous bylines and maybe not that many people read them but I've, you know when I get paid a huge fee I would sooner do something where I really connect with the artist and I really tell a story and I really mm. am in that subculture telling other people about it 
And that's the whole point of being into subcultures anyway, isn't it? It's like, yeah, like Terry it? mentioned, it's not for anyone. It's not for everyone. Yeah. Um, Terry, like, you know, is, like, what's, what's Faith got to do to still be around in five, ten years? Um, I think we've got to, um, we've got to, you know, make sure our audience really um, appreciates what we do. You know, it, it's very diff. It's very difficult, kind of. You know, our, our audience is totally different from these guys. You know, uh, ours is kind of older. You know, uh, older, older in in age, and also the younger ones who like. And there's a lot of people, young people who like faith, but they've got kind of got a whole older head mm. and an older look on you know, on perspective of, of the scenes. So we've got, to, we've got to stay relevant for them and we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to make sure we keep digging in for stories um, and, you know, digging deeper. Uh, otherwise, we're just, you know, you can't just write about the Paradise Garage and, you know, Ron Hardy and time and time again, you know. It's, you know, these stories have been told. We've got to, you know, you've got to sort of dig deeper. We, we've got a thing at the moment where... Um, Andy, myself, and Simon from Defected, we're, we're you know, a, each edition we're going to look at a different city and the history of club culture in that city. Uh, we started with Manchester, uh, we did New York in the late 60s, and what we had to do was we had to find someone in that city to be our partner. So we got it right and we had an authentic. Uh, voice from Manchester, an authentic voice from New York. Um, we're currently talking to people about San Francisco uh, and the kind of rise of, um, you know, the gay rights uh, in, in San Francisco and Harvey Milk, who was assassinated. Um, and we've got, we've got a, a, a partner now who's very, very authentic, a guy called Sunshine Jones, who's talking us through it. It's very important for us to get this right you know, because the last thing I, you know, I want, um, or any of us want, is for it to come out in print and someone to sit in San Francisco and go, no, that's, that's all wrong. You know, mm. you've got it mm. wrong. You've got it wrong. So we're, we're, we're delving into that. And then, you know, we're, we're working our way around the world. And, you know, mm. it'd, be nice, it'd be nice if we can um, go to some different cities that San Francisco and New York, I know, is, and, and Manchester, is probably obvious choices. But this is where we're starting, you know, and, and hopefully in a year or two, you know, we might end up in, you know, Moscow or somewhere like that. Um, or, you know, or maybe somewhere in Africa, you know, where, where the kind of house scene is, you know, really big. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and we can get into that. We can get into Cape Town, you know, as long as we can find a, an authentic partner to help us, guide us through that, mm. then, then, then that's, that's where we're going to read. I, I was going to say, oh, sorry to interrupt yeah. I was going to say quickly about faith, like one of the things that you've done that's been so incredible is, so far at least, is like, you know, appealing to both sides of people that want to experience those subcultures. So as much as you have the older readers, you know, they're, they're coming to the magazine because they want to read those little new pieces of articles about yeah. new subcultures they've never heard of. But equally for me, you know, writing about somebody like Grace Sands doing DIY sound systems. Like, I wasn't even fucking born, but to sit with her and hear how that happened and what, you know, that was so fascinating for me. So it's yeah. like, 
the new generation or even Gen Z generation that might be picking up the magazine uh, is interested to get that history the same yeah. as the older generation is interested to find out what new history is being made. I, I think I think it, that going. I think it's really important to know. You know, it's like, you know, Chuck D. You know, if you, you know if you dig, you got to dig the blue note to dig Def uh, dig. Def Jam, you know, he said that it, it, it's important. You know, it's important in hip hop to know the roots of and house as well. It's very important to know where this music comes from because you know dance music can be very, very disposable. Mm. It can be very frivolous, and and to a lot of people, I know it's just a good night out. You know, we we take it very seriously. Mm. You know, you take it seriously, like you were saying about if you play a new record, they go to the bar. Yeah. You know, and and that. You know, and clearing the dance floor, you know, can, can you know, it can, it can be quite, you know, it can be quite heartbreaking at times, um, um, because you want you want it to be perfect. You want this this experience that you have to be perfect, and when it's not perfect, you you can take it very personally. Um, you know, the drive home down the M1 can be very kind of lonely, <laughs> and you can you know you can you can question everything everything about yourself. You, you can question why am I doing this? You know, you know, and you know, you know, is it me and all this? Um, but it, you know, it's not. It's just that you, you know, you want things to be perfect. And I think educating people about the history of, of, in our case, house, which means disco, um, is really important for us. But I think that that's across the board. I think, I think, um, you know, what all you guys do, you know. If people know the backstory, it's even better. You know, if you if you watch The Sopranos, if you know where these guys are eventually come from, you know, in the thing, it makes the story much better. So that's I think that's where we're we're going to keep on trying to tell the story. Yeah, I mean, uh, stories never go out of fashion either, and that's the whole point. Good stories of, never of, go out of fashion. There you go. Mm. Get that on the T-shirt as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know you didn't want to say the word old, but that shouldn't be like a dirty word, should it? Because if you don't tell the history of these subcultures, they don't keep going. No, I mean, sense. as I say, you know, it, it can be, you know, for for going back to thing, you know, for for ninety percent of the people who go to um, a festival, it's it's a good day out with their mates and they're having a great time and. They're having a perfect time, and then, you know, next year, you know, for someone to say, "Are you coming?" They go, oh, "I feel a bit too old now." I'm, oh no, you know, I'm, I'm doing something else. But for the, for the ten percent of the people who go there, you know, they get, they're in it for the long haul. You know, they're in it forever. You know, um, they will look out for new music. They will search new radio shows. They will buy magazines. They will carry on buying records. They will go to concerts. And I think, you know, that 10% is, the, uh, mm. is our audience and probably the Faces audience and your audience and Tracy's audience. Yeah, yeah. And then, again, that's how you, you keep a subculture alive is you believe in it. Yeah. And you, you don't stop. You don't stop plugging away. You don't stop buying the records, playing records. Yeah, creating stories, telling stories, setting up new platforms and formats. You keep pushing. Um, so that, that feels like a nice place to end our conversation um, a final question if we go from left to right um, what advice would you give to people starting their own subculture and grassroots platforms 
Terry, take it away. Well, you know what? I mean, I, I'm the wrong person to ask it because um, people used well, to... Why have we got you on the panel then? Right, because... No, <laughs> who no, but, who no, but Terry? Because, cause, because when, it comes to, when it comes to, you know, the modern technology and the modern and, and social media, you know, Simon... Dawson is the man who we lean on. You know, it back in I, people used to ask me. You know, back in the day, how how do I, you know I'm a DJ? What do I do? And I used to say the same thing, right? You know, as long as you've got 20 mates who will come, go and hire a small club, smart, hire a small bar, right? Get a really good vibe in that party. Get a crew. Get it great. You will then attract another 20 people within the kind of a couple of months. If you're good enough, and if you're what you're doing is good enough, mm. you will have promoters ringing you from the ministry or from Fabric. Come down with, you know, come, we want you down. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing, if that still stands up. I don't know. I would like to think it does. It does, yeah. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Well, I, I would, well, there you go. <laughs> so I do know, it's yeah. just I didn't know I know. In, in, instead of a thousand fans, it's 20 mates. Yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah a bit more I think it just goes attainable. back to, that, well, it goes back to that thing of being in a gang, you know. Yeah. I think gangs are good. And I, I yeah. think, you know, and I think also good gangs, other people want to be in that gang. And being in that gang might just mean that you go to the concert mm. or you buy the record. Mm. But you, you, you still buy into that. Yeah. Yeah, that culture. Sandra, what advice would you give? Um, I think, to be honest, doing things from a place of authenticity is where it all begins. I think if you are doing things authentically and you have a real love for music and you're not just doing it for the followers or doing it for the clout as we say now um, I think there will always will be some success and there will be um, people that will connect with you because it's authentic I think as well like you have to do your 10,000 hours as well you know um, I think that's very important and that's something that like I pride myself in terms of my DJ career like I did practice like to the point of you know exhaustion and claps <laughs> before I even got my first gigs and you know it's the same I, I built my DJ career like that it was like with my friends you yeah, know what yeah. I mean like I, now all my friends are DJs you know what I mean we all hang out yeah. together we've got our own sort of community we we um have our own you know radio shows but it all came from a place of authenticity it came from a place of um a love for music it came from also you know like what faith does being able to research into you know you, like let's say you're a hip-hop dj it's not good enough to just turn up and know all the latest travis travis scott songs or all the songs that came out in the last two years like what about songs that came out in 2016 what about songs that came out in 1987 what about songs that came out in 1991 you know like i, I was i was raised that way i've i've got a dad who i'll call him a selector he's not really a dj but my dad's attic is like the place to be, you know, records and um, CDs and tapes beyond the eyes can see. And I was raised that way. I was raised on, you know, um, Wu-Tang. You know, one of the first ever concerts I went to was a Wu-Tang concert. And that's given me an authentic love for music and being able to build a career off having the knowledge, off doing my 10,000 hours and off being authentic so uh, that's the advice i'd give if you're going to start start as you mean to go on do something you really want to do not just doing it to be seen or to be popular or and in this day and age that's something that's very hard to do a lot of people just want to be famous you know we live in the kardashian era now it's like mm. 
You can be famous just to be famous. You can be popular just to be popular. If no, having a USB with all the latest songs, it could work for you. But is it sustainable? Is it, you know, longevity? If that's what you want, it's not really going to work, is it? So there you go. <laughs> Tracy, what are you saying? I think um, it's kind of like I'd kind of like to follow up on what both of you said. I think that's completely it is just being 100% true to whatever craft it is that you're going to push, whether that's music, whether that's you know as a as a B girl or a B boy, or whether that's you know somebody who's a vogue or whatever. It's really cultivating your craft and nurturing that craft and making sure that you're making that as good as it can be and that you're doing it you know with all of your heart because the rest will follow, the rest will come. You know, it is very important, like you say, and so many people forget this, to like know the sort of pioneers of, of your medium and to know where it all started so that you can influence those things. And also find out what's happening now. You know, I write about dance all the time and I have people watching my Instagram and saying, oh, where did that battle happen? Where did that cipher happen? I saw you were doing this. It's happening in fucking London. Go, like it's, and so I think it's also if you want to start a subculture, it's seeing the other subcultures around you and experiencing them. And like I said before, really feeling those things whilst also really completely nurturing your own craft because that's the most important thing that will take the quality behind what your passion will take you through forever and the clout and the fame will come with that. You can't do it the other way around, it's impossible. I mean, and everybody, not to say that it's easy to find, so I don't know why that's neither. <laughs> do Your I? mic. Yeah. I, was like speaking, I was like speaking of ciphers, right? <laughs> I think like, I think, um, yeah, like, I'm not saying it's easy to blow up or to, you know, to get mainstream success or go viral, but it is very easy to do that and then not be able to carry that on. And if you have all, everything to back it up before, that's how you will maintain a subculture and keep a subculture growing rather than, you know, blowing up as a fad. That's the difference, I think, between a fad and a subculture that, you know, you'll still be talking about three decades later or more. Um. Yes, I guess my advice to someone who's starting a platform now, I think I would probably give them some advice about how they think of it in terms of their career, because it's been a really, really difficult time, obviously, and for young people, the future is like, you know, really scary and stuff like that. So I think the best stuff, the best work or the best platforms are really kind of the passion comes when people aren't really thinking too hard about monetizing it. So I would maybe break, I, I spoke to someone just last week who wanted some advice about who wanted to start like a kind of podcast platform, but they weren't sure they were going to monetize it. I said, well, why don't you break down the things you do and break down how much rent you need and what are the things you're doing to get paid and what are the things you're doing because you're really passionate about it and it, it keeps you passionate. But I actually think in turn it's really good to just have a platform or project where you don't really care about the financial side of it because actually what will happen is that will give you um credibility which then other opportunities come through that so if you have like a monthly uh radio show on a small independent station and you have to pay small subs and you spend, it takes you two evenings of your week to, to prepare for that. And you're, not, you're thinking, well, I'm not getting paid for this. But that on your website or your Instagram bio, that is what I said before. You know, you're proving the world that you're tapped in on subcultures, which is valuable. So that can land you the copywriting gig for a big clothing brand or something like that. Um, if you do a magazine, it's a small zine. And um, sorry, by the way, my phone's banging up. <laughs> Some sort of measuring, but um, uh, yeah, I'm in demand. But um, 
Yeah, I think if you if you have a, a, a zine or a magazine and you actually lose a bit of money in the printers or you don't sell all the copies, as long as it's sick, like you can still send that off to to people, and then you might get some paid work through that. Like to be plugged in, have knowledge of subcultures, and show that you're passionate about it and you know what's up is a very very valuable asset and some people are really savvy at turning that into something so carve as much time as you can and don't worry about it paying the bills for a long time that's what i'd say because and if it's good then eventually it will benefit you financially indirectly i think amazing and that's that um i'd like to thank you all for your time and knowledge today it's much appreciated um and thank you at home for watching uh, please check out the rest of Back to Reality Week. Um, you can stream everything across all of our all of Defectors platforms uh, up until Friday, and we'll see you very soon.